Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 11.22 p.m. Sunday night. That's right, I got it done before midnight. Huge shout out to me. Anyway, I hope you guys are doing really good. Uh, I'm excited because I actually haven't had a chance to listen to this message yet. I have been out of town uh, for five days in the Bahamas. Uh, some people would consider that like, you know, a trip to paradise. And I did have a good time, but I got to say, I hate missing church on Sundays. Um, it's always one of the highlights of my week is being there and seeing everybody and hearing the band and hearing Hannah, or in this case, Isaac. Um, so I was really bummed to miss it. Um, but I'm really glad that I've already got this ready to rock. So once this releases, I'm going to listen to it. And uh, if you're listening to this right now, I guess that means you are too. So thank you so much for being a part of what we do here at Different. You are awesome. And I'm so happy to have this little podcast community going. Uh, A couple things I want to go over before we throw it to Isaac, uh, who is awesome, by the way. Um, First of all, I want to say thank you to Amber. Um, She, uh, ever since Different Church has been in existence, she has been running the nursery and uh, she's been doing a great job. Uh, The kids love her. Um, She's super dependable. She's super nice. She's just really cool. And she's gone. She left us. Dang it. Um, Thank you for everything that you've done since you've been here. We literally would not be where we are without you. Um, So I just wanted to say thanks. You rock. And also exciting news. We immediately replaced her. (laughs) Um, It was perfect timing. We uh, met... uh, Allison is her name, and she uh, actually was a kids pastor at a different church, and so she's going to step right in and just uh, do an amazing job for us. Uh, I think this today would have been her first day, but my family wasn't there, so I have to wait a week to introduce her to Owen, but I am really excited about that and very excited about the future of kids stuff at the church. Can't wait to see us kind of grow in that department, and uh, parents, if you're listening to this, Allison's awesome. You're going to love her. And uh, we're looking to see how you guys can get involved and help out, you know, with different events and things like that. And we're really going to kind of take it to the next level. Also, do me a favor and go to diff.church. That is our hub for all the things going on at the church. We've got a couple things going on in the events tab. If you click that, you can sign up to volunteer for one of the three things we are doing for Pride. You can volunteer to help out in the booth and get a free shirt. You can volunteer to walk in the parade and get a free shirt also, but with a suggested donation of like 10 bucks or so. Um, And the third thing is volunteering in a booth on a different day. So June, Pride Month, uh, it's a big deal for us, obviously, and we would love to have you come out and help out at one of those three things. Um, Okay, I think that's it. I am super pumped to hear Isaac he is talking about something that, uh, believe it or not, I guess he didn't really understand existed until he started coming to different, and that is... It was progressive Christianity. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Progressive Christianity, what is it? Because we identify under that label. Um, I'm sorry if I'm going to be looking a lot at my tablet. Usually when I'm delivering a speech or a presentation... I do it in Spanish because that's my first language. English, I'm still an app there to kind of master whatever I want to say. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I kind of like had a script what I wanted to say. So bear with me on that. 
Uh, today's message is uh, inspired and mostly based on a previous message uh, that I heard a couple of years ago. I heard this uh, by a progressive pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm on purpose going to be kind of replicating what I learned that day, what I, what I heard. His name is uh, Stan Mitchell. He's one of the two main pastors at The Village, also known as Everybody Church in Georgia. I don't know if you, you've heard of them. Um, so I remember that during those days uh, when I, I listened to this sermon slash message, I was so excited because I was discovering these new, these new parts of my faith and just giving myself permission to challenge certain things felt right, but also very exciting. Like, oh my God, I'm discovering new things. However, it also felt scary and it felt like I was doing something wrong. Um, I felt like I was going against what it's supposed to be. And sometimes I felt like I was going against what God established for, for us for eternity. Um, I remember it was very excruciating sometimes because it was like I was betraying my faith, I was betraying my family, I was betraying my values, everything I was built on, upon on. So I think I have shared this with you before uh, when I talked last time. But I've always been an active part of church. Church is basically part of my whole life when I was back in, in Venezuela. And I really appreciate it. I really love church. Uh, I've seen the good that it can do to people. And it, I have beautiful memories and beautiful experiences there. Um, but also I was experiencing the bad that it can also do to people. Usually people don't talk about that, but there's also, sadly, a bad side to it sometimes, especially with doctrines and dogmas and specific interpretations. So when I was in the middle of all this thing, um, questioning stuff, um, I had just came out to my parents, to my family. It was a big, you know, oh my God. And, <laughs> and my faith was going basically through a, a pretty uh, crazy crisis. Um, then, by those days, I started to see and listen about this thing called progressive Christianity. And I remember I saw it on the different church website and then some articles online on the internet, until one day I clicked on this message that I mentioned. And it really was, now looking back, it really was a before and after for me. Because I had never seen that perspective about my faith or faith in general. Um, so I can tell honestly, that it was a before and after that. And I'm so excited to share that with you today. I'm really uh, happy to share with you what I learned that day. And before I kind of start with the whole thing, um, I just wanted to clarify that it's my prayer and my hope that if any of you here today or listening or in the podcast or online have ever felt um, scared or shamed for opening space in your life for questions about your faith or if you've ever felt insecure or if you've ever um, felt like you're doing something wrong or evil by, by digging in your faith or going beyond what it's supposed to, to be or to go, I really hope and pray that uh, today's message may, might bring uh, some light and hope and some comfort to you um, on this journey that we all have of a spiritual growth. Okay, so let's, let's go into this. Progressive Christianity. What is it? Um, that's a question I get 
pretty often nowadays. And uh, I think it's very important to, to have an answer for it, at least, or at least a general idea uh, of what it is. So number one, um, in an ideal world, the word Christianity should not have any or need any adjective on the front of it. Usually adjectives and modifiers are freighted with loaded and different meanings that often they tend to be very confusing. So, for example, when I say, or when we're using words like progressive or liberal or conservative or traditional, all these words usually have very different approaches. Uh, for example, when we look up a word on the diction a dictionary, sometimes the simplest of words may have 10 to 15 different uh, meanings or, or explanations. So this is what I mean when I say progressive within the Christian context. And I'm going to actually quote literally what I heard uh, said to Pastor Stan when I heard this, because this is where I actually stand and believe today. I believe that at the heart of Christianity, Christianity as a movement is inherently this sense of progressivism. I believe Christianity is innately progressive by nature. And that means that our understanding um, of the universe, our understanding of, our understanding of God, our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of all this um, high existential matter is an unfolding understanding. It's always progressing, it's always changing. And, and this un, uh, unfolding understanding that over the course of time, uh, there is this like an accumulating wisdom that we get to grow. And we stand on the shoulders of those who have preceded us. And I think that idea, uh, it's an actual factual truth. We know that's true of every discipline known to humanity. For example, whether it's mathematics or biochemistry or economics or astrophysics, etc. Every discipline known to us, to humanity, is progressive in nature. And it's always accumulating wisdom and it's always uh, getting in new information over time. That's kind of how the, works, how the world works. Um, every generation has the benefit of previous generations. For instance, we don't have to reinvent the wheel anymore. And then we don't have to reinvent the, the carriage, you know, with the horses pulling it. And then we don't have to reinvent the car. We have the benefit of past wisdom and knowledge. The people who invented the wheel, maybe the wheel, maybe they didn't know that. Hundreds of years later, uh, people would use that idea or knowledge or invention to create the carriage with horses. And hundreds of years later, people didn't know that people who created the carriage didn't know that we would have automatic cars, right? So life in general is a progression. It's, we're always moving forward. So, so based on that foundation, we can access and always create and understand new knowledge. So I think it would be, um, Pastor Stan here, he used the word remarkable, but I would say crazy. I think it would be crazy <laughs> that every discipline known to humanity was subject to that principle, except the one that perhaps I think it's the most important of all, of all the disciplines, which is human spirituality. Um, human spirituality, in a few words, is this natural 
uh, human pursuit of the divine, the invisible, the mean of who we are and what's at the base of this universe we live in and to whom we're responsible uh, on this reality we call life or where we're going to go after we die. All these questions are so intrinsic and important within human spirituality. For us would be Christianity, of course. So just as all human disciplines that exist, um, if we want to put the word or, or the phrase human spirituality in one kind of topic, it would be logically religion, right? So just as all, as all human disciplines that exist, religion is also subject to this matter of progressivism. If Actually, if we look back in church history in an anecdotal level, we can easily see that we, the church, and I don't mean different church, I mean the church in general, the big umbrella, the, big, the church in general have always been pretty much progressive. Yes, even conserva conservatives. <laughs> the church has been always looking for growing and changing and transcending time and culture. So yes, we can say progressivism has always been an essential part of Christianity. And I recall that Pastor Mitchell used an example that I really like when I was listening to this message. He said, um, I don't think God changed, changed his mind in the 19th century when in America slavery was a big thing, a big deal. And by then, Christians, we Christians, were the biggest advocates of that. I don't think that God changed suddenly like, oh my God, I think that's really bad. I'm just going to change their mind like this. No, it was us that through time we got to understand, we got to see the wrong that that was. So we caught up to God's wisdom. We caught up to, um, to the Holy Spirit's wisdom. So when I say now progressive Christianity, I am really talking about Christianity. Because Christianity has always been progressive. And since the word progressive is an adjective, and I said at the beginning that we shouldn't use adjectives, but apparently we need them, so we have kind of order. <laughs> um, since we're using always our adjectives when we're talking about uh, Christianity, um, I think it's important to clarify that progressive should not be held in tension with tradition. Because progressivism is a major aspect of the Christian tradition. Words, I know words can be funky and they have the power to separate us, and we know that today. And, and that's not my intention when I say progressive Christianity. Actually, within the Christian tradition, um, there is always uh, this sense of conservatism as well. So maybe most of us here, some of us even don't know in it, uh, we are kind of uh, conservatives as well because we are conserving the heart of Jesus. And that's also part of Christianity, conserving the heart of God manifested in, in this man called Jesus. So we're also, we're also conserving that tradition that happens to be progressive. So it's kind of a, 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 a balance that we need to find in the middle of all these definitions, not just going to extremes. So now going back to uh, this principle of progressivism, we can see clear evidence in scripture that this principle was uh, important to Jesus. And this might sound a little cliche or weird, but I personally believe that Jesus was a spiritual progressive. 
And it doesn't take a careful reading of scripture to look at the life of Jesus, to see that he was always bumping up against these concretized traditions of men, these fixed orthodoxies. Because that's what, what orthodoxy is. I would like you to imagine, you know the, the stock market, when you have these lines, when a stock is going pretty well, it's green and goes up. So I wanted to picture um, Christianity like that line. So orthodoxy says, yes, we've been accumulating wisdom. So we're always going up. We're accumulating wisdom and knowledge over time until we reach a place where we just flatline in our spiritual growth. We just, we just block it. Okay, this is it. Um, in our spiritual growth, I don't think that that works. And, and then we have this thing, when, once we reach that flatline, we have this thing called orthodoxy, where ideas are constitute, consti, I don't know how to say that word, constitutionalized, okay, constitutionalized, and these ideas are set, and they never face change. They never face um, the process of being amended, because somewhere two, 3,000 years ago, uh, we came to the ultimate conclusion about God and who we are and, and what's after we die. So we already kind of got it. So that's it. There's no more progress. So I don't think that's true. Those ideas within orthodoxy, usually they, don't, they no longer are subject to scrutiny or evolution or growth. And that in itself, I believe it's, it's tragic and it's, uh, it's actually dangerous. Um, for instance, if it wasn't because, and I like this example, if it wasn't because the American Constitution amendability, um, we wouldn't be enjoying the liberties that we have today, nor the positive progress that, that, that has come with it. Um, the people who put the Constitution, the American Constitution together, they knew that it couldn't be the final say in the final word. They knew that generations to come might have an input that comes from a perspective that they, they couldn't have, they couldn't have access because they were living in a very old time. Um, and I think that perspective um, applies to a spirituality as well. Because um, they, they had the, they put it in the constitution, okay, this can be changed because time changes. Uh, so this can be applied to a spirituality as well. And the most fascinating thing a thing about, um, about that is that there's evidence, coming back to the Christianity part, is that there's evidence that Jesus knew, knew this. He was aware of that reality. He was always, again, bumping up against this constitution and orthodoxies and fixed ideas and doctrines of men that institutions known as, uh, as churches now were built around with no flexibility at all. So we have Jesus as this, um, as this revolutionary kind of progressive religionist, right? And he actually indicated uh, that he was kind of like that or such and different opportunities in the Bible. But I think one of the, the one that would be the most popular would be the famous Sermon on the Mount. I'm pretty sure, I hope that most of you know that when he was on the Mount uh, preaching to everybody, pretty, pretty famous part of the, the New Testament. And Jesus, when he was there, he said, 
five times he looked at the, at the crowd and said, You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. All five times Jesus references very important ideas, and he references how these ideas were depicted in Scripture. And not only in Scripture, but in, in, in a tradition of interpretation that the Jewish and their religious leaders had. Uh, the religious leaders, or the, the, the rabbis, as they call them, they wrestle with these old texts over time, and, and it was through their interpretation that they got to the conclusions that they had, which was very and heavily influenced by their culture and their, their old views of the ancient times. The Bible says that after Jesus finished the sermon uh, on the mount and, 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 and was done with it, uh, some religious leaders came to him and said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, he said, uh, they said to Jesus, hey, you know, we, we really don't like what you just said up there. You were putting Moses down. Moses was like what Jesus is for us today, kind of. So he was like, I, we really don't like that. How dare you? How can you be uh, affronting Mosaic tradition? How can you be twisting the word of God? This is me thinking like they were like outraged uh, against Jesus. But of course, Jesus masterfully uh, responded and looked right back at them and said, um, to the contrary, I was not affronting Moses. I was actually supporting Moses. I was not coming to this place to destroy Moses, but I was coming to Moses to protect him and to fulfill what was at the heart of what Moses said. And Jesus could have at that point say, um, look at them and say, notice I didn't say Moses said, but I say unto you. I said, or Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. The problem wasn't in what was said originally. The problem was in what you heard it was says, or it says. And it's funny because everybody say, and I hear this a lot today, the Bible says, like, I don't care about my opinions, I don't care, I don't care about my experiences, the Bible says. When in reality, the Bible doesn't really say as much as it hears. The Bible is heard by us more than actually read. Um, other people say, I don't interpret the uh, scripture, I just read it as it is. I don't care about denominations, I just read it, and because it says it, I'll do it, and I'll follow it. That's actually very hard to do. Um, but a lot of people are like that. So then I would say, well, written itself is an interpretive thing. If that's not the case, why do we have thousands of Protestant denominations? Why do we keep dividing over the text more and more and again and again? Well, that's because we all hear it say different things. I don't know if you've ever been asked, uh, asked this, but after I started, I, after I started to deconstruct and, and kind of rebuild my faith again, some people have asked me, um, Isaac, do you believe, like, and they're like, Isaac, do you believe in the authority of scripture? Like, oh my God, 
And I say, yes, <laughs> I believe in the authority of Scripture. What, what I don't believe is in the authority of your interpretation of Scripture, which is different. <laughs> uh, yes, Word of God can come through a sacred text like the Bible. But if we're proven anything over the last 2,000 years, um, we've proven how fragile interpretation can be. Um, we see that Jesus sets us on that story. He sets us a framework for our hermeneutic, which is basically how we interpret and understand the Bible, or our inter interpretive lens as a Christian church. He sets, he sets this idea that you can hear the text say, and then as you hear the text say, you admit that you have a filtration system. We all have it. We have lenses that could jeopardize what the text is actually saying, and you're subject to a community. And not just to a modern community, but a community that goes across time. You're subject to other people's interpretations, other people's filters and, and lenses. You live within a community and you allow the text to unfold through that community. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. Later in Jesus' ministry, he added two uh, interpretive methods by saying on the eve of his crucifixion to his disciples. And I love this part. He said, I have many things to tell you. This is Jesus talking to their disciples. I have many things to tell you, but you can bear them now. I have a lot of things to say to you, but you don't have the capacity to hear them. However, but, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will come to lead and guide you into all truth. Now, that doesn't happen in the text. Sorry, what doesn't happen in the text and in that moment is Jesus saying, and that will be completed by the end of the first century. And then that's it. The Holy Spirit will not talk to you. It doesn't say, or it's going to end with the death of the last apostle, or, or the canonization of the New Testament, or the division of the Catholic Church, etc. There is no asterisk in the Bible there. There is no an annotation at the bottom of the page that says, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, and, and that will be completed in 2003. That doesn't say that. It's an unfolding process. It will never stop because the, the, the wisdom of God, it's, we cannot measure it. So it's like and we're, we're slowly uh, cutting up to that. The church history indicates that, uh, the church history indicates to us with all these reforms Christian churches have been through, including the Catholic Church for the last uh, 2,000 years, um, there is a strong indication that there is an unfolding process that, process that has, I think, and I believe, has been guided by God himself through the Holy Spirit. Um, it is through our experiences and circumstances that we keep learning and growing, and God is always leading that. Um, Jesus gave, uh, he gave us this clue, and I'm, all, again, paraphrasing, he said, the Spirit's going to lead and guide us into all truth as our consciousness grows and our capacity grows. 
Jesus is saying, um, the only reason I'm, reason I'm not saying to you what I want to say right now, it's because you cannot bear it. You cannot understand it. You would think I'm crazy. Imagine Jesus 2,000 years ago saying to uh, his disciples, you guys have to affirm, include, and love LGBT people. They would be like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> they, don't, they didn't even know what gender identity is or, or sexual orientation. Those ideas were so distant from their time. The more the human consciousness grows, the more it can hear and understand things. And this is true in so many levels, even our beliefs, even uh, Christianity. And I got lost, okay. Um, for instance, uh, you, can, you cannot explain or tell a five-year-old the same thing as a 15, 20-year-old, because they don't have the capacity to understand. So that's kind of an example on what I said. We don't have to see, actually, we don't have to see the modern examples of, of, of this reality in the church, such as being maybe the most modern, the inclusion and affirmation of LGBTQ plus community in the church. We don't have to go back to the 20th century or the 19th century when the church finally changed Uh, their views on women and slavery or divorce. We actually can go all the way back when all this started, when the church was founded. We can see in the book of Acts, Acts uh, for example, the apostles were, um, they were just preaching, and I think Hannah was talking about this last Sunday, they were just preaching to other Jews, only exclusively. It was prohibited Uh, to even sit and eat with another person that was not Jew, uh, a Jew or a converted person to, to the Jewish tradition. This was the ultimate, if you think about it, this was the ultimate xenophobia and racism right there in the New Testament with the apostles. They were preventing 99.9% of the world population by then from hearing the good news of Jesus. And it wasn't because they were gay or they were women. It was just because where they were born. It, were, it was just because um, they were not Jews. So the apostles were wrestling with their own ancient texts and they met Jesus. They were with the master and they were still wrestling with that. Um, they were wrestling, wrestling with their own ancient text because those texts indicated that that was the way to do things. However, Peter had this revelation by God, and he actually, in the text, he kind of have a discussion with God, with this divine voice in his head. Um, and it was the Holy Spirit, uh, I think, talking to him. Peter was like, okay, God, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try. And I'm going to share the gospel with these non-Jews, a.k.a. Gentiles, which are non-Jews. Um, even though it was against what was supposed to be for him, he did it. He saw, and I think personally that was the Holy Spirit, this consciousness, moving him forward. Okay, this is going to be hard, but something is telling me to do it. So he did it. And, and then he saw the Gentiles' experience. They had received the Holy Spirit just 
as, as the apostles and the Jews had. Peter saw that they were all the same. And even though that was not in their original scripture to do that, he did it. Um, it was the Holy Spirit revealing new knowledge, new information to Peter. And yes, he had later on in the text, we can see that he had a hard time trying to convince the other apostles about uh, what was happening with the Gentiles and their experience with God. But in the end, it all, we know we're here today, 2000 years ago, so we're Gentiles. So it worked, it was the right thing to do. One thing um, I love about Christianity is that God always fleshes himself out, himself out whether it was with Adam or Jesus or the poor, the needy, women, gay people, the other, the different, uh, the one I think it's, it's not worth and different. Jesus said that when you, when you help those people, you're helping me. So God, he fleshed him, he always fleshed, fleshes himself out into humanity. And this means that he affirmed human experience because human experience is valid. It is so sad and, and actually dangerous uh, that the human experience is always demonized and put down and put to the side by most modern doctrines and, and churches. But I think actually human experience, it's always bring us, bringing us back to the text to see if we have actually read this correctly. Are we, through the human experience, we can see, that's one of the lenses, to see if we're actually approaching, approaching scripture and our faith correctly. Um, I think uh, we as a church are, are doing that today. Uh, since different churches started, and I know there are many other progressive uh, Christian churches, and, and this is what progressive Christianity is. When we allow God to to keep moving us forward. That's who we are here. And I am so thankful and, and very privileged for the opportunity of being part of this community and, and that's bringing definitely change. And I know this might sound very churchy. I know I'll, some people here don't like that language, but I, I'm sorry, I'm from, from church for my whole life, so I kind of have it. Even though it was Baptist, we were not too, ah, we were like, you know, calmed. <laughs> <laughs> I know this might be or sound churchy, but I personally believe in my heart that it was the Holy Spirit who moved um, Hannah and Jared and, and Bree um, in their lives. He used their, his, their lives, their experiences, their circumstances, whether they were good or bad, to move them to where they are today so we can exist. So, so um, I could be talking here today. And just to, to finish uh, and conclude this message, I just wanted to say that the fact that we exist as a church, it's so important, like truly very important. It feels to me, and this is a personal um, thing, I think that it's like God, it's choosing communities around, in this case, America, maybe the world, it's choosing us as many other churches who have become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So we can continue this tradition of progressivism, of moving the church forward for good, so the Holy Spirit can continue to work through us, uh, so we can make this world a better place for generations to come. I think that's progressive Christianity. I think it's important, 
And I think uh, this is the right thing to do. Thank you.